Please be seated. A prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, many here will know that I love radio broadcasting, but recently I've been tempted to turn the radio off or even throw it out of the window in the morning because awaking to the news recently hasn't been a good start to the day. So much bad news, human suffering, cries of despair, And I know we can't escape the reality of it, but it's harsh when you wake up and it's the first thing that you hear. And it's natural to ask, and our broadcasters do it, who's to blame? The media, or or Putin, or political parties, or even God. And it's tempting to get caught up in the blame game, debating about the rights and the wrongs, who should be punished in return, and how that should happen. It's easier to do that than to turn to the Lord and to seek his will for us and for others. Now, in the first five verses of our gospel lesson, some people, probably Pharisees, were playing the blame game. They were trying to trick Jesus with their questioning. So they rather gruesomely mention a news story. It was about Galileans that Pilate had probably had killed. They were ruthlessly murdered, probably pilgrims or zealots, potential rebels or those actually rising up against the Roman governor. Who was to blame for their uh, deaths? Pilate, the people themselves in some way, or was it the sins of their fathers? Now, we have to remember the theology uh, that uh, around that time attributed suffering to individual sin, and the Pharisees were probably pondering whether these Galileans were just wicked people. That's why this had befallen them. Did God punish them? Who can we hold responsible? Well, Jesus answers the question, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. And then he becomes forceful, almost appearing to change the subject as far as they were concerned. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Hardly gentle Jesus, meek and mild, And I don't think he was drifting from the subject either. He was clearly on point, and I'll explain why in a moment. And then we have this other rather gruesome story in verse 4. It was about 18 people who were killed in Jerusalem when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. The zealots would have wondered if these 18 people were to blame in some way for their own deaths. Had they been particularly wicked? After all, Pilate had built an aqueduct in Jerusalem and it was financed by the sacred temple tax. Could this have been a fatal compromise and the reason why they lost their lives in this way? 
Were their deaths God's judgment upon them? You see, we have two stories here. The Pharisees were blaming the zealots. The zealots were blaming others. And it's very easy, isn't it, when we don't understand something, when a mystery happens, when there's awful things happening in the world, someone's got to be to blame. But Jesus tells them categorically here, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, Jesus wasn't being sucked into their questioning. Uh, He didn't want to play the blame game. What he wanted was individual folks and the nation to take account of their own soul. That's what was important. It was more than individuals just repenting of private sins. He was addressing the whole people of God. In fact, the whole world. Unless people ceased turning away from their maker and seeking salvation through, perhaps through violence against Rome. Remember, they were looking for a a military messiah, not Jesus. Unless they recognized what Jesus, God was doing and turned towards him, then they were the ones who were going to be judged by God and would perish. Now, these are very strong words from Jesus. It's usually the Old Testament where you get the gloom and doom. Actually, the Old Testament reading today was quite encouraging. It's difficult words in the gospel. What was the message? Stop resisting God's mercy and rejecting the true Messiah and receive your servant king. Their creator, if they turned to him, would be able to embrace them and care for them. Uh, At the end of this chapter, there's lovely words which we had quoted last week. We'll hear them again possibly on uh, Mothering Sunday. Do you remember in verse 34? I'll edit them down a bit. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing You see, at that time, people had determined what they needed as a Messiah because they blamed Rome. They needed a a political Messiah, a powerful Messiah who was going to actually do the business. And when Jesus presents God's love and mercy and servanthood, it's not what they want. And so that verse goes on. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, here we have a call to turn towards Christ's love. And it's still relevant today in the midst of all the rubbish that's going on in the world. God is calling us to himself, towards Christ's love. Amid the complexity of all the events, Jesus wants us to consider the radical nature of his kingdom. And unless we respond, we only have ourselves to blame. The message, I think, is not that we're going to suffer arbitrary punishment from a vengeful God unless we do as he says. But he calls us to him because unless we do, we're going to reap 
the consequences of not living according to the maker's instructions. It's not as though he's waiting to zap us. He's wanting to redeem us and set us free. But unless we turn to his word and are thirsty and hungry for it, then we're going to miss the point. Were it not for the Lord's love, patience, and mercy, we would have perished already. What's more, if we come as a thirsty people to the Lord, he will refresh us despite what's going on. He will renew us. He will sustain us. He will give us a job to do. And the justice of the things that are going wrong in the world will ultimately be put right in the economy of his eternal kingdom. So God's call in this reading through Jesus is to turn to him so that we can learn to work together and seek the value of the kingdom to overcome the evil in the world. This week I'm uh, going to be preaching at the fifth anniversary of the Westminster Bridge attack. Now the service is taking place across the road at the Abbey, or rather St. Margaret's Church, and it's a gathering of those who were bereaved, um, the families, uh, the police officer's family, they will all be gathering together with people from the police and government and others for a special service. Now, when we come to that service, we'll be remembering that terror caused suffering and grief. But the bereaved families have chosen not to just play the blame game. In fact, they're not even going to name the perpetrator because evil must never win or be glorified. Their focus is on unity, solidarity, resilience, hope, and support. Those are the things that the families have come up with that they think is a response. We need to respond positively to what's happening in the world lest they happen uh, again. And in times of suffering that we don't understand, we need to remember that Actually, ultimately, love will win. But we need to be a part of that. The late Desmond, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. Victory is ours through him who loved us. God hasn't finished with us yet. And that call in that gospel reading is to us today. And somehow we have to hold intention. Jesus' extravagant love and mercy, which is a reflection of the heart of his Father, alongside the reality that there ultimately are limits to divine patience. And so we move to this beautiful story that seems rather odd following on from all that horror in the first part of the gospel reading. And I'm sure Jesus had fun when he was telling it uh, to lighten the tone a little bit. It was about fertilizer and a tree. Uh, the fertilizer was probably a rather polite term for raw manure, uh, which is a rather polite term for, well, anyway, uh, a man was very upset that he had planted a tree 
And after three years, this fig tree in the vineyard had been unfruitful. Of course, we can see parallels here. That tree surely was a waste of space, a waste of soil. It deserved to be cut down. But the gardener, I love the image of the gardener, suggested that the fig tree be left for another year and manure to be dug in all around it. Let's see what happens with the right environment. If it bears fruit, fine. But if, after all the care, it isn't responding, then its end is inevitable. So the gardener's hard work and all the enriching that's possible is important. Uh, John Wesley believed that God has ways of fertilizing us as Christians. Uh, We call it the means of grace. Uh, If we turn to him and turn to scripture, prayer, worship, fasting, the Lord's Supper, holy conferencing, acts of mercy, then we will be enriched as Christians and we will bear fruit. We need to take that seriously. So Jesus calls us to him, but he doesn't just call us. He calls us and then gives us all that we need to bear fruit by his spirit. But will we turn towards the Lord or not? You see, if we don't take all that's offered to us, well, in a sense, if we don't draw on that, then again, we reap the consequences God's doing everything that he can to give us all that we need to flourish. And amid the horror stories recently, we need to remember that there is hope. What about that wonderful story of endurance and hope, the images that were there of restoration in the midst of it all last week. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. After all the injustice of a woman's imprisonment, after all the campaigning and negotiation and prayer that was invested into the relief of Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe and Anusheth Ashuri, they are back in the UK reunited with their families after years of being detained in Iran. You could say it was a hopeless situation. It was unjust. Would anything ever happen? But we have hope in that image. And it reminds me of two things. First of all, there is hope in desperate situations. But the second thing is, I'm reminded of the God who is longing for us to be set free, to come back to him. He's waiting for us. He wants us to return. And actually, we need to play a part in actually enabling people to be able to return to him, just like others played a part in enabling uh, Nazanin uh, to come home. I wonder what part we're playing in our evangelism to actually help people to return to the Lord. Isaiah 55, verse 6, uh, nicely summarizes today's reading. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. You see, I think we have the opportunity to repent 
And we need to do it while we can. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The news makes that very clear. Now is the time for salvation. But also now is the time for us to respond and to be the good news that could be world-changing. And that's for us, it's for nations, it's for the world. Because God is inviting us to a banquet prepared for all humankind, not exclusion and war and violence. And in these confusing times when we wonder where the truth lies, we need to hear the words, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. There in Isaiah. We don't know the answers. So that's why we have to seek nothing but the kingdom of God. So let's not despair. Let's not get caught up in the blame game with everything. But let's pay attention to our own souls, the souls of the Methodist church, the soul of our nation, the soul of the world. For Jesus alone is the answer. And he wants to patiently nurture us so that we can become useful and fruitful for him I thank God that Christians at the moment are motivating themselves to actually bring relief for refugees. That is part of the fruit of the kingdom in the face of evil. So let's take seriously those harsh words of Jesus about perishing. Let's hear him calling us to change direction and come to him with repentance, faith, but also hope. As we sing these words, just as I am, without one plea, but that you died to set me free, and at your bidding, come to me, O Lamb of God, I come. Amen.